0: Alright. <laughs> Don't laugh at me. <laughs> you actually you totally can. That <laughs> happens all the time.
1: Hey, baby. hey baby.
0: This is sibling revelry. I'm Caitlin Prilliman. And I'm Lucia Constantine. And we are not siblings. But we're older sisters. We are. We're actually both older sisters of younger brothers, which I think is pretty awesome. We realized that over beers one (laughs) one day.
1: (laughs) It's a special bond. It is a
0: special bond. And we both agreed that men who had older sisters are the best kinds of men.
1: Yeah, that's a demographic.
0: Right there. Yeah. (laughs) It's a demographic that my brother and your brother should be proud to be a part of.
1: I think they are. I think they are better men because of it. I agree.
0: (laughs) So we did good,
1: basically yeah
0: so thank you so much for joining me Andrew is still in South America right now which is why you're here helping me out we did hear from you a few episodes back when you came and did some advice uh, yeah. giving for us which was very helpful yeah um, not sure
1: how that advice turned out <laughs>
0: but um, I, you'll have to ask Andrew I can tell you mine has really gone nowhere but that's not your fault <laughs> <laughs> I'm like completely avoiding the issue <laughs> Like I do. (laughs) Yeah. You know, I think that's part of the process. (laughs) I think it is. I think it really is. Avoid, avoid. Avoid, avoid, avoid until you can't take it anymore. Yeah. But usually I have Andrew sitting across from me and what we like to do is... Uh, Take a topic, one of us brings it, but the other person doesn't know what it is. Uh, We riff on it for a while, talk about it, get into some interesting details, and then also, in between, take some breaks and play games and have do other fun stuff together. Um, So we're going to do something similar today, except that... I'm making you bring the topic again. Usually we switch back and forth, but I'm being lazy while Andrew's gone. So While you can. Yeah, while I can. So I'm going to ask you to bring a topic here, but before we do that, we have to do our demographics. Okay. Um I'm every so excited. I know. Yes, it's one of my favorite parts. Every week we speak for a different demographic that we're a part of that we represent and we are speaking for all of them. And if you are part of the demographic and you feel like we've misrepresented your opinion, by all means, let us know. But we probably didn't. Let's be
1: real. Yeah, slash <laughs> If we're in the same demographic, I want to meet you. <laughs> That's true too, actually. You could have a meetup for people in your demographic. <laughs> That's a very good point. All right, so Lucia, who are you speaking for this week? Okay, I've been thinking about this all week <laughs> and I've decided that I'm speaking for introverted women who had headgear, a palate split, and braces in their youth. Wow. Wow. But lost their retainer in adulthood. <laughs> that's awesome.
0: Yeah, that's quite. That's quite a a, a a list of equipment there. Yeah, it was very expensive. How many? So, what years were you dealing with all that? Like, uh,
1: very. I feel like there were like very formative years. They for were you. very formative years. <laughs> I also wore glasses, so there was a period of time that was just not. It was a rough. It was not a rough time good for me. Yeah, yeah, I can imagine. Uh, maybe between. Like, 12 and 17? Man, those are, that's like the worst. (laughs) It's like the worst window of time. Still, being 17, after losing all that stuff, you must have felt pretty great. Yeah, and then I got contacts, and I really came into my own. (laughs) Yeah, blossomed, if you will, in that horrible word that I
0: hate. (laughs) I hate that word. (laughs) All right. Well, I have to think about who I'm speaking for. I actually had it just now, and then I forgot it. Um...
1: You've had to speak for so many people. I have. So many different groups. Um, it's a lot. It's a lot to bear. Oh, yes. Okay. I, re- I
0: remember. So um, I'm speaking for all college graduates of liberal arts schools who uh, owned dogs as pets, but no cats when they were children and who have been to the Galapagos Islands and in, a, in not like on a cruise, which is what how most people go to the Galapagos. I've actually stayed on the Galapagos Islands and like worked on the Galapagos Islands and like hung out. With the finches. Yeah. Yeah. And the turtles and the sea lions and the, the whole deal and the people. There are people there too. Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. You never hear about
0: the people. No, you don't hear about them. I mean, yeah. they're, they're technically they're, they're Ecuadorians, right? Oh yeah. Um, right. Because Galapagos is part of Ecuador. Um, but they kind of have their own culture and and kind of own thing going on.
1: How many species of finches did you see?
0: I don't know, honestly. I mean, I'm sure I saw a good number of them, pretty much all of them at the Darwin Center. But I was like not that concerned with the finch. Like I was much more interested in the giant tortoises, yeah, and the um and the and the marine iguanas, which are black, um, and the sea lions, which would get like just right up close, like on the beach and like just chill. They were like super friendly. I'm going to Google marine iguana. You
1: should. <laughs> when marine iguanas home. are
0: great. And yeah. they're just like chill on beaches and like soak up all the sun. That's why they're black. So they can like absorb all the heat. And then oh. they go in the ocean, which is cold. And they have like, they retain their body heat.
1: Evolutionary advantage.
0: I know. It's pretty cool.
1: Evolution in action. It is.
0: That's, that's why, I mean, that's why Darwin went there.
1: <laughs> I guess it is where evolution started. Yeah. In a way.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So that's me. Okay. And all those other people who All apply. those other people. <laughs> Uh,
1: so, bring me this topic now. Okay. Um. So, as a, like, white 20-something who prefers to live in cities, I'm very conscious of the fact that I frequently move into neighborhoods that weren't necessarily white before. Mm-hmm. So the topic I'd like to discuss today is gentrification.
0: Nice. This is a really good topic and super relevant to the area that we live in. I mean, you live in Durham. Yeah. I live outside of um, Different, very different situation, out in the middle of nowhere, kind of. But Durham is changing so much right now um, and has been for the past few years. And gentrification is like kind of the word for what's happening there um so could you I don't know how much you know about it I mean I I know a little bit about what's going on in Durham but as someone who like lives there and is like sort of in the heart of it like what would you say you've watched happen so far
1: well so I am relatively new to Durham um but before I lived in San Francisco where gentrification has been happening for a long time just in different neighborhoods so I became most conscious of it when I lived there, because I lived in a neighborhood that was very near to the Mission, which has historically been a Latino neighborhood, but over the past like five years has been completely taken over by people in tech. So I feel like I read a lot about that there, and then when I moved to Durham, I was surprised to learn that it's also a buzzword here. And It's most apparent when I tell people like, oh, I live in Durham and their immediate reaction is like, oh, well, Durham is not what it was like eight years ago Mm -hmm. when people would tell you not to go downtown and the subtext for not going downtown is like, oh, there are black people downtown. (laughs) Right. Yeah. or Like poor, mm-hmm. you know, it's like a low income in poverty. area. Mm-hmm. And even now people are like, oh, you know, like old North Durham is fine because it's been gentrified. <laughs> right. But you probably don't want to spend time in East Durham, which is still predominantly black or Latino. Mm-hmm. So there's that. And then there's also just all these condos popping up in downtown Durham where each condo is ridiculously priced.
0: And they're all for sale. I mean, it's not even rental properties, right? It's like buying it's condos I feel like to buy. Right. Um and I don't know. I mean, I guess they
1: just want like wealthier people coming in there and and changing things up. Um Unclear, but there's one in particular that's going to be like 27 stories high. Oh my god. Yeah, in the heart of downtown Durham and it's and that type of living situation is cle- is clearly targeted toward young professionals mm-hmm. who probably are white. <laughs> I guess I don't know that part, but it feels like there is this deliberate push to get more affluent people in downtown Durham at the expense of maybe just diversity. diversity? I mean, that's
0: always my my like curiosity and concern about it when I think about gentrification is like the motives of the people who are sort of doing the gen- like moving that gentrification forward I mean building these condos or these areas that have been traditionally more poor Is it seems like on the surface you're like well you're making it quote-unquote nicer right if more wealthy people are living there like it's more like crime will go down and like or like people are living there so businesses are going to come and invest and be there um and the economy and like it will improve the the area in general like that's sort of the i feel like that's the motivation um but but the sort of flip side of that is realizing but like where are all the people who were poor going to go because they can't afford to live there anymore Okay, so Lucia, I think it's time to take a break. I'm so ready for a break. <laughs> we've been talking about gentrification um, and housing and, and all that good stuff. Um, but let's step aside from that like very important, like pretty, uh, I don't know, like weighty issue and uh, talk a little bit about maybe some trivial things that we've learned recently. We're going to um, do this segment that we've done before on the podcast called Who Knew, where each of us shares something that we've learned recently that we didn't know before. Um, so would you like to go
1: first? Sure. Okay, so share away. <laughs> so I've learned that I have bad posture <laughs> because my friend sent this picture of me that was taken at an event that we were both at, and I was doing this turtling thing Ah. which you can't see in this podcast setting but I feel like it's like the chin the chin moving forward Uh uh-huh yeah Yeah, the chin moving forward because I have a tendency to crouch on my computer on my phone while I'm driving and so my roommate who also happens to be a yoga instructor (laughs) did a quick diagnosis and was like oh yeah you need some work she gave me some suggestions for how I could improve but then later on in the week, another friend emailed me this article about how posture is impacting your mood.
0: I feel like I've heard about this, like better posture, like more positivity.
1: Yes. Yeah. So maybe you've seen the TED talk by the same woman who wrote this article about power poses. So <laughs> <I'm sorry. laughs> I mean, it's like a very TED Talk sort of thing. Oh yeah, it's totally. just great. And she follows with the, the power, format.
0: Also alliteration. <laughs>
1: Oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> Gotta love it. Okay. Um, so basically what she says is um, when you think about certain animals in nature, when they want to appear confident and strong they and powerful, they often expand, right? Um, so similarly, uh, humans, when they're feeling particularly victorious or confident, will often do... Uh, Arm, we're doing arm, arm raise. raise right now. Yeah. 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 Because you feel really powerful in that pose. So the thinking is that if you, before stressful situations, hold a power pose, it'll lower your cortisol levels and other hormones, which might incite a stress reaction, and you will feel more confident. That's very cool. Yeah. I feel like, I mean, I know I have bad posture. <laughs>
0: Like, there's, I feel like posture is, like, a thing, like, I feel like it's coming back into vogue. Because, like, I feel like posture was something, like, people did not talk about for, like, a few decades. Like, nobody... My grandma has been talking about posture (laughs) for decades. But see, that's (laughs) my point. (laughs) It's your grandma. Like, because she probably, she's of a generation in which, like, maybe posture was a conversation. I don't know.
1: Yeah. When was... Yeah. Like, sit up straight. But now I I am bringing back the posture conversation. Because I do think that I've found in moments... Moments when you are crouching or slouching can make you feel less confident. I think we should both practice better posture. Yeah, I Let's think that's the takeaway. Okay. <laughs> I'm passing on the gospel of okay. posture to you.
0: <laughs> Great. I'm so glad that we had that we talked about it. So mine is. Uh, I'm I'm going to present this in the form of a question to you, Alicia. How do you take your coffee? I usually drink it black. Okay. So apparently I read a, I read a study recently or like an article about a study recently, and this is only one study and I'm highly skeptical, but it links taking your coffee black with sociopathy. (laughs) (laughs) So sorry. (laughs) Um, But actually more expansive than that, it, it links it to like enjoying the taste of bitter things. Um, so... Because you are a bitter, bitter person. <laughs> being, yes. Um, so, like, people who maybe take cream and or sugar are more likely to be empathetic and less likely to have sort of psychopathic or sociop- sociopathic tendencies. And they sort of jokingly said, like, you should, like, the first thing you should do on, like, a new, like, dating someone new, like, first date is, like, ask them how they take their coffee. and Oh, then... my God. <laughs> and, of course, like, jokingly, of course. And, of course, for me, what I realized is that I actually take my coffee, like, it changes day to, like, day. Like, I like it black sometimes. If it's really good co- coffee, I like it black. Yeah. Um, but sometimes I just feel like a little bit of milk. Sometimes I feel like I want it to be a little bit sweet. So, like, I don't even know. Like, my personality is apparently all over the place. <laughs> yeah, what is it? You're like a psychopath. No, multiple personalities. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Something. Something along those lines. I personally, I think it's all a bunch of BS.
1: But I think it is funny that somebody's studying it. <laughs> Well, I feel like there's this whole subset of coffee studies and every like month it's like, oh, coffee helps you stave off memory. Actually, it's destroying your memory. Actually, it's causing depression. Actually, you're a sociopath, you know, like. Yeah, I think coffee, coffee, like study wise is like the new eggs. I feel
0: like eggs for a while were like, they're good. No, they're bad. No, they're good. Good good cholesterol, bad cholesterol. And like it turned into a whole thing and people are just like, just eat eggs if you want to. Like at the end of the day, like just stop obsessing over it. Yeah. I feel like coffee is getting all kinds of buzz (laughs) oh god no pun intended or or was it or maybe or maybe it was um it's just generating a lot of interest right now Um, yeah the research on coffee is still out (laughs) yeah for sure the the verdict the verdict is not in yet
1: wow so now i've learned that i have terrible posture (laughs) and that i am maybe maybe a sociopath sociopath. uh i haven't (laughs) known you that long but i can pretty much guarantee that you're
0: not (laughs) All right, let's get back to our conversation about gentrification. All right.
1: I mean, I do too, obviously partake in like going downtown and being a part of this new bar, new restaurant movement. (laughs) call it a movement. <laughs> but I feel I feel very aware of my demographic in doing that, in particular because I feel like I'm surrounded by other white people, and that in turn makes me wonder like, okay, well, if all of these people are here now, what was here before that we have displaced or why why isn't this now a place that supports the diversity that downtown maybe once had. And I also, and it, this is in part my fault, um, but I know that downtown Durham has a strong history of black businesses mm-hmm. and was formerly known as Black Wall Street. Yeah, I was going to mention that too. Yeah, that's actually a very,
0: I think a lot of people don't realize it, especially people of our generation um, aren't aware of that history.
1: Yeah, and so that. That is present but lost, and I mm-hmm. think I don't know how to reconcile this like new trendy restaurant scene with what was there before, and I don't know how to be a more conscientious young person. Right. I mean, How do you, how young do you be conscientious in a, about it in a other than saying, city. I'm not participating in this? Yeah, because I also felt that way in San Francisco where I would walk through the mission and while I didn't work in tech and didn't get on the Google bus every day, I was clearly a transplant. You feel this kind of guilt for being a part of the associated demographic, but you want I want to be like, no, but I'm not them.
0: <laughs> right.
1: Yeah, and it's it's tough because
0: like how... Yeah, how do you know you're not, even if you're not working in tech, like, how do you know you're not them? I mean, is it just yeah. literally, like, you were just, like, all the people who are not traditionally living in that area are just lumped into one group? Right. Um, Because you are, in a sense, per- I mean, you're, like, participating in the gentrification, even if, like, you don't necessarily want it to be gentrified by living yeah. there. And that's kind of difficult. I was going to ask you, like, on a personal level, in terms of, I mean, you moved here to this area and... And you were looking for a place to live. Yeah. So, what is it about those kind of as as I mean, you said you're like sort of an or, urban oriented person. Um, so, what is it about like those kind of neighborhoods that appeals to you? Like, what makes you seek those out? What's your like your thought process behind that?
1: The neighborhoods that I've lived that I live in now in Durham. Mm-hmm. Or- like, yeah, and
0: just like in your process of like deciding to where to live in this area, because like it's you can make a lot of choices about where to cheap. live in this area.
1: Yeah, that's true. <laughs> But what attracts me to a neighborhood is that it has, it has like a character, or an authenticity, and I hate using authenticity. It's a tough. It's, it's a
0: tough word to use, but sometimes it's what's required.
1: Yeah, well, it has like a palpable sense of neighborhood. Like mm-hmm. when you're in the mission, you know that you're there. I feel like that is lost through the process of gentrification in terms of where I live now, I moved to Durham not knowing that much about it. (laughs) The things that I did know were like, okay, there's somewhat of a music scene. There is documentary stuff happening, which is what I'm interested in. And it's still relatively affordable, um, which I think is where gentrification starts. (laughs) Right. Um, And the neighborhood I live in right now I think, was not super well-off years ago, but due to its proximity to downtown, has appreciated in value. Mm -hmm. Um, But there's still a mixture of housing stocks. So they are a mixture of family homes and also apartment complexes. So I enjoy living in a neighborhood that accommodates both of those. And in an ideal world, I think we would find a way to allow everyone to live in the neighborhood that they wanna live in without creating these pockets of extreme wealth and extreme poverty. Right. But I don't know how you do that. <laughs> no,
0: it is it is a tough thing. Well because it because the cultural sort of what culturally, especially in, in big cities, I mean, the neighborhoods that developed um, around particular ethnic like ethnic groups did for a reason because People who immigrated to the United States wanted to create places in which they could be, in a sense, safe and around other people who spoke their language, who understood the culture they were coming from. And they could sort of, that's in many ways how immigrants worked their way into becoming Americans. And it makes total sense. But eventually that kind of starts to, like, I don't know, uh, dissipate somewhat, Uh, I feel like as generations... Uh, you know, are Americanized in a sense. And so, yeah, people start to move in. People from different races start to move into those neighborhoods and it starts to become more actually more diverse than it was before. And I don't necessarily think that we should see that as a bad thing. On the other hand, like you said, living in the mission, there was something really nice about that, the culture of that neighborhood specifically. There was something rooted in in a kind of history that when you do start to diversify there's this concern that maybe the history gets lost
1: but you could also argue that that in some ways is the nature of cities that they change and that we should somehow learn to embrace that change rather than resist it which is the narrative that i have chosen (laughs) Well, there is something
0: to be said for the evolution of that. I mean, you kind of can't, especially since it seems sort of inevitable. Like there's, like you can't stop it from happening. Um, but maybe you want to document it in some way or preserve. I mean, I think the idea of preserving certain urban spaces because of their history is is important. So maybe just being trying to be mindful about it, being aware of it. I feel like it does you well to, to learn to appreciate it. So I think it's time to take a break. Uh, we've been talking, getting into gentrification, um, but uh, it's time to hear from a very special person in my life, <laughs> my, my brother. Um, this is sibling revelry after all, so he does get to have his say, even though I have to say that his say is not particularly like full of like sure facts. like he's sharing a lot of facts <laughs> that I'm not sure if we of debatable <laughs> merit. um so he he has sent us um, a message from Bolivia um, so we're gonna listen to that now, but you know, take it with a grain of salt. <laughs> Yep, I went there. (laughs) Okay, here it is. Hey, Kaelin, I'm recording uh, this from the salt flats of Uyuni, Bolivia. Um, We are here at sunset, and it's absolutely insane. You can see just the entire sunset reflected in the water and in the sky, obviously. Totally nuts. Uh, My fact that I'm going to be sharing with you is that this is 3,000 square kilometers of salt. Uh, Right? It's either 13,000 or 3,000 potentially square kilometers, potentially di- just the diameter. <laughs> we're we not sure. is shaking her head. Uh-huh. But... Uh... We've also had some like a fantastic music musical accompaniment uh, from our tour guide, who's been blasting either "Mamma Mia," "Grease," or Michael Jackson. Um, yeah, so it's been totally totally awesome. Anyway, miss you, and hope the podcast is going well, and hope you guys are having a good discussion. Uh, say hello to everybody there for me. All right, bye. just feel like what Durham is I feel like in some ways its history is like getting commercialized I don't know like you have like the tobacco historic district now I mean these these like really nice buildings with these like really beautiful fountains and all these businesses coming in and it feels very clean and it feels very um it's just all very new and kind of shiny but it's but it is banking on or utilizing old Durham architecture, like kind of, like, I don't know, I'm thinking about like all the brick and everything that's there, um, the old like sort of warehouse, the old all the old Durham warehouses. And like they use that architecture and they use that history and they, it's sort of, I mean, it's watering it down or it's taking like the nice bits. It just, it feels like it's glossing over a lot to me um, while also um, benefiting from, from that history in some way. Right, but, who, but who's benefiting? That's the other question, right? It's the businesses, it's the people building it. Um, it's, yeah, it's the people who own that property, right? Um, and I don't know who those people are. I don't either. <laughs> but <laughs> my guess is uh, <laughs> someone very wealthy.
1: <laughs> yeah, although I will say I appreciate that rather than, like, knocking all the warehouses down and building something new, I appreciate that they there's been an attempt to restore them um, and to keep that kind of physical reminder of what Durham was because I think the alternative is to knock it down and build new condos, and those are just so, like, visually offensive to- <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and don't fit in with the rest of the city, like... I think about there's that condo that's the dividing line between Carborough and Chapel Hill, which doesn't fit the rest of the feel of the city at Uh, all. Yeah, it's
0: it's, uh, it's not good.
1: That's what's hard about
0: development in general. I mean, if you're like a builder, your business is in building things. And if you're not building anything, then you're not making any money. Yeah. Um, and so, I mean, because Durham isn't the only place that's just like cropping up apartments and condos like you wouldn't believe. I mean, Chapel Hill is doing the same thing. It's just, there's just stuff going up, and you're like, really? More housing? Like, I don't remember seeing like more people moving. Like, I don't, who's going to live in these in these apartments? Right. And that's and... the other question. <laughs> like, who are these people? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I I don't fully understand. I don't, I don't fully, like, is, is it a, if you will, that they will come or is it like, Well, we got to build something.
1: (laughs) (laughs) We got it. People will always (laughs) need homes.
0: (laughs) And that's true. But there are just all these great old neighborhoods in Chapel Hill where the trees have grown in and it's like the way that's landscaped. It feels very natural, like like all the houses are sort of embedded into this green space rather than what they do now with subdivisions where they just level everything and then build these like cookie cutter houses with these very tiny patches of grass and then plant these tiny little trees and it's just like so like desolate but i think figuring out a way in the same way like trying to figure out a way to like build housing so that you're embedded in that green space to begin with rather than just leveling everything and hope. I mean, I know that's it's cheaper to do that, right? Um, but in the same way, in like building new buildings in an urban area, like maintaining in a sense, what is the like environment, the aesthetic of that environment and what what's nice about it, maintaining that while building things that are new and and high quality and nice.
1: Yeah, I agree. And I also, and this is a tangent, Kind of, and I'm also <laughs> revealing my intolerance, but I'm just like, who, reveal away. <laughs> who wants to live in cookie cutter America? You know, like a place with no trees where all the houses look the same. Well, I feel like
0: there was a time where that was the dream. And I think we're like, we're moving out of that now as millennials. I mean, the- Well, I mean, baby boomers. I feel like that was, I mean, like men. There was that period of time, the baby boomer generation. Like men came home from war, and they were just like, "Let's just have crazy amounts of sex and produce lots of babies with our wives." But also, like now we need to know. Now we're producing all these children. Now we need a place to live, and cheap housing suburbs became a thing that developed, and suburban sprawl became a whole like, you know, moving out of the city into the like outskirts of the city and building houses that came to be in a like an iconic part of the American dream, I think. And so, but I think we're kind of getting over that. Well, so Caitlin, what will the American dream look like for you as you age? Well, honestly, I mean, my conception of what my life was going to look like has changed so much in the past five years or so. I mean, the 20s is a time of upheaval, let's be real. Like things you thought were really sure things are not sure things, um, and things that you thought you would never do, you're doing. Like, I have, like, so many possible visions for my life that it's hard to pin down, but I often come back to, in a sense, growing, like, wanting to raise my own family and my own children in an environment very similar to where I was raised, because there is something really, there was something really nice about being in nature, being able to go outside. You know, my dog growing up, um, could like, sh- she was a lab. She could, she just knew her boundaries. So she could just run free, like in our woods all the time. And it was great. And that, so that kind of, fr- there's this kind of a freedom in that, but I also, how big do I want my footprint to be here? Do I, do I need a big house or do I want to try to live smaller? And what does that look like? but I don't know. What do you what about for you? I mean, you obviously you're like drawn to urban place, places yeah. now, but like thinking about Well, I don't know.
1: This is the problem. <laughs> yeah, it's funny because to hear you talk about like wanting to live how you grew up because I feel the opposite reaction where I grew up in suburban Jacksonville. Nice. <laughs> um and I my neighborhood was mostly white and You It was great that we could like roam our neighborhood, but in order to go anywhere outside of our neighborhood, you had to take a car. And that feeling of being able to access all the things that you need with your own means, like by walking, is really appealing to me. Mm -hmm. And I also really enjoy the like random contact that comes from living in a city and that you see you know, different humans on the sidewalk all the time and different forms of humanity happening all the time. But I recognize that maybe if my life circumstances change <laughs> and I have a family, that maybe that won't be so ideal. <laughs>
0: well, we have some time to
1: decide. <laughs> we have, I have a lot of questions coming from this interview. <laughs> I'm like, who are the people living in the condos? What do I want from the American Dream? Who wants to
0: live in? Who still wants, who to, live still in wants to
1: live in suburbia? <laughs> well, this
0: is what I, this, is, this is what we want from these podcasts. Actually, we we don't want to answer questions. We want to just think of more questions. Well, thank you so much for a great topic. This is like super relevant to what's happening right now, not just in our area, but all over the place.
1: Thank you for this forum for voicing my concerns.
0: <laughs> You're so welcome. <laughs> been listening to the sibling revelry podcast if you want to join our conversation you can email us at siblingrevelrypodcast at gmail.com or tweet at us at sibling underscore revelry or follow us on instagram at the same handle this episode was produced and edited by lucia constantine our music is by flamingosis you can find more of his work at flamingosis.com special thanks to lucia for being my guest this week and thanks to you for listening